0: A lot of caretaking people, a lot of people that are very good-natured, they want to give, and we see that a lot with trainers and, and instructors, and some some have codependency and codependency in recovery, just meaning that they're dependent on people, they feel that they need to give more than take, and this is something we need to be really cognizant of so that we're not giving too much of ourselves where we're feeling drained and depleted or resentful, and that's where people get burnt out.
1: This is Amy, the Senior Group Fitness Instructor at the Indoor Cycle
0: Instructor Podcast. Are you looking for a spark of inspiration to bring to your next class? Find us at IndoorCycleInstructor.com.
1: Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast. I'm John McGowan, your host, and you can reach me, John, at Instructor.com. We are, as fitness professionals, frequently put in a position where somebody may come to us and ask a question. Although the temptation is to jump in and provide a lot of advice to people, it's not normally the best path to effectively communicate with these people in a way that will motivate them and they will in turn reach, hopefully, the goals or the weight loss, physical goals, whatever it is they're trying to accomplish. And I've got an expert about that exact thing Um, joining me today. Her name is Dr. Kim Cronister, and she's a health psychologist and author of The Psychology Behind Fitness Motivation. Dr. Kim, welcome.
0: Thank you. It's great to be here, John.
1: Have everyone understand where you are.
0: I am in Los Angeles, California, practicing as a therapist in Westwood and a professor of sports psychology course developer in sports psychology, also in LA.
1: What led you to, first of all, to get into sports psychology?
0: I was a soccer player, a swimmer, um, forward goalie. been watching the World Cup lately, so that's on my mind, but played all kinds of sports growing up. And then my energy began getting really depleted, um, and my confidence started getting low when I got out of sports um, during my adolescent years. So I picked back up activity and training as a personal trainer in college and then it, it, it progressed as far as research and academia and writing as far as physical activity and motivation was concerned. It's,
1: you know, some people do things for specific reasons, kind of their why. Why psychology?
0: I had always had business and philanthropic desires, so I wanted to combine the two. So going into business in a field that was philanthropic meaning helping others was very attractive uh, very attractive to me so i wanted to be able to fuse the two business and psychology business and philanthropy
1: and that helps a lot because you know we're in the fitness world and most of us are that way as well you know we teach because we just love helping others to hopefully achieve their fitness goals But sometimes in our conversations, it doesn't always work out quite so well. Um, In your book, you talk about the process of a motivational interview. Well, explain what that is and when you as a psychologist would use that, and then we'll talk about how that could possibly translate to an instructor talking to a participant.
0: Motivational interviewing is evidence-based, meaning we can use it as an intervention with a client uh, it's actually accessible to trainers, coaches, consultants, but it, it was originally developed for psychologists and therapists to use with their clients if they're going through something that they want to change or increase a behavior, decrease the behavior. Some examples are quitting smoking, picking back up at the gym, trying a new sport, uh, changing some behavior that's negative in their lives.
1: What exactly are you doing uh, when you're doing a motivational interview?
0: So with the motivational interview, we're actually asking quite a lot of questions. So we'll start with stages of change after we build rapport, of course, and we will get to know the client in full to see where are they at, where are they at in this process. Maybe they are just contemplating, maybe they're even in pre-contemplation stage. We have to get to know exactly where they're at so that we're not pushing them in the wrong direction so that they don't feel judged and they don't feel pushed.
1: And that's kind of what I was referring to in my introduction is that, you know, we're put in a position to, to and it's, <laughs> forgive me, this is not, very similar to just the normal sales process uh-huh. that a salesperson will go through with someone. Sure. You're going to do some exploratory inter, uh, interviewing just to understand where they're at. Um, but i always concerned when, you know, I hear someone ask a question and then the response from the fitness professional is, well, you need to do X, Y, or Z. That's not always helpful, is it?
0: It's not always helpful. You know you, you could call that psychoeducation, but you have to be really careful of your tone and you have to be really cognizant of your rapport with that individual. So let's say you're just seeing that individual for the first time, second time, you want to make sure that they're comfortable with you, they trust you, they don't they don't think of you as judgmental or there's not a power differential there necessarily where they're going to feel um talked over so if you're talking over their heads that's sometimes a, a turn off for them and they might be averse to the whole process after that so we have to be really careful to meet them where they're at that's a big thing in therapy and pe- coaches can use this instructors can use it is meet them where they're at so ask them questions try to always turn it around so that you're getting to know more about them than they are about you and provide that psychoeducation when it's appropriate
1: doesn't the the relationship between and an, a fitness professional and a participant doesn't it already doesn't it start from a place of of uh, disparity? <sighs> um, you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Is that, you know the people's coming to you, and and well, I'm the professional. Um, yes. and that 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 isn't helpful, is it?
0: Yeah, I'll tell you what. I mean, we we need to know as professionals that it's good to establish ourselves as. Uh, cognizant of the material, as well-researched, and instructors usually are when they're experienced. So it's okay to throw out, around jargon or, or give a few tips, even at first. However, it's the way you do it, the tone. You also want to make sure that you're not talking down to them and that most of your, most of your time is spent asking questions and really doing that motivational interview with them. But what makes them tick and what, what their motives are, what's going on in their lives at this time? If
1: if you were my instructor and, and I'm walking up to you and I say, Dr. Kim, you know, I'm really struggling losing weight. What should I do? What would your response be?
0: So what I would do is kind of paraphrase what they're saying. So it sounds like you're having a, a difficult time. Can you tell me a little bit about what you've already been through and what you've already tried? That would be a simple way to paraphrase and then put the question back on them.
1: Okay, and then wait for the response. Obviously,
0: mm-hmm.
1: okay. And then do you do you answer at that point, or are you, or is this more of a series of ongoing questions?
0: If you're forced into a situation, let's say they're asking a specific closed question, which you can also turn around. But if it's a closed question, you don't have a lot of time, and you feel like you're not going to see this person again, you could give them three tips or whatever it is they're saying. Can I have three tips of this? One tip for that. That's fine. Um, but don't go into your whole program your whole regimen um, don't make it too lengthy because we we want to leave them wanting more and that's fine that's we we have a lot to offer as instructors therapists coaches so we have a lot to offer and it's okay to just throw them a bone but mostly get to know them so that they feel they feel respected they feel like you're on the same page with them the same level you're not talking over them
1: does the response well that depends is that ever appropriate
0: Here's what I would say was, it depends is very valid however, what, the way I usually phrase it or the way uh, therapists or psychologists phrase it is it's an individualized process so it, it really depends on the individual so that's a better way to say it um, I think that sounds a little more caring it's a little more true um, it narrows down so it depends on the individual it's individualized so so there are different variables for everyone there are different motives for everyone people's goals are different so we have to shape that depending on the goals. That's why it's best for you to come to this class, this class, and this class so that you can see the whole program and you can, you can really get into it um, thoroughly. So it's customized for you.
1: You know, you used the word rapport earlier Mm -hmm. and, but at the same time, not talking down to people. Um, is there a process that that as fitness professionals, we're, we're doing it right or we're, or, or, or maybe we're doing it wrong.
0: I'll tell you a really simple a simple technique is even if you're in front of the class and you just want to kind of uh, kind of narrow in on a new client or get to know a client a little bit better you can go in front of them at some point when they're feeling a little bit more relaxed you can tell, gauge that and actually mirror their nonverbals meaning if they kind of you stand in front of them or you can you can ride in front of them and you lift your hand if they lift their hand. You nudge, you nudge your shoulder when they nudge their shoulder. Um, you put your elbow out if they do. So you're mirroring their nonverbals. And evidence shows that mirroring someone's nonverbals, it's usually not, not known by the other person. It's not, it, it's not as obvious as you might think. And it also helps to engage that rapport hugely. And trust even can, can grow as a result of mirroring someone's nonverbals. So that's one way to do it. Another way is to obviously ask questions.
1: Is there a proper way to ask a question?
0: Open-ended questions as opposed to closed-ended questions. That way, it keeps them talking, you get to know more in a smaller amount of time. So what that means is, instead of asking them, how many reps do you do of this activity? Or how many times do you do this? That's a closed question, because they're going to come at you with one answer. Or do you exercise that's a closed question because they'll some people will just say no yes or no you really want to ask them what is your week like what is your regimen like what are the stressors like what is motivating you what's going on for you in your life that's called an open-ended question so you're going to get people to talk more if you round it out with an open-ended question rather than having them have it when you have a closed question that's going to come back with a yes or no and that's not good
1: Dr. Kim, I'm, as I'm as I'm listening to you here, I'm you know I'm smiling, thinking you know this is some of this is profound because I don't know that people recognize that they ask those type of questions that 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 kill the conversation,
0: yeah, <laughs>
1: or it, or it just or it, or it, it pro- provides an end to it, absolutely, and, and 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 just in general conversation, not necessarily as an instructor and a, as a participant. Oftentimes, as instructors, business professionals, we're, we're put in a position where we don't have the luxury of a lot of extra time. You know, we've got a new participant that comes to us um, five minutes before class. Is it right to schedule a, a future conversation, do you think, in those instances?
0: This is a tough question because an instructor's time is worth money. A coach's time is worth money etc. So you want to leave them wanting more, you want the rapport to be engaged. But scheduling off time when you're not getting paid, I'm not going to I don't recommend it unless they're going through a crisis, and you've already had a rapport and you feel it's appropriate. There is a power differential. And this is this is a money making industry as much as it is a philanthropic industry where you're helping someone. I truly believe being with the client. And this is this is well known in the psychology industry, just being with The client, meaning them being engaged in class and and them knowing that you're engaged with them, non-verbally even, with with visuals, with looking them in the eyes, with warm smiles, things like that, energy, that is enough when we talk about being in the room with a a client for therapy and being in the room with clients in, in spin class.
1: And so, what you're saying is that, that that's valuable all in itself.
0: It is, and we have to remember that that we don't need to be because there are going to be clients that want to pull you, and not it's not always appropriate. Yeah, <laughs> yes,
1: there is. You
0: know, right? <laughs> yep. it, yeah, okay, and this this just comes down to boundaries. So, if a you know, just as it wouldn't be appropriate for you to schedule extra time without compensation as a therapist, because that that can hurt the boundaries, it can hurt the, and there is some good in having a power differential. Um, it's not always good for you to do that as a trainer, or as an instructor, because that actually can hurt the client as well. Then they're going to want more. You give them a little bit, they're going to want more. And some, you know, and some instructors are very caring, and m- m- most are. They're m- they're mainly giving, yeah, giving. Yeah. They can even be codependent, so we see a lot of of, of that. Uh, so that's something we want to work on. But one way you can really Whoa, have-
1: no describe that. What did you mean by that?
0: Okay, so a lot of caretaking people, a lot of. People that are very good nature, they want to give. And we see that a lot with trainers and, and instructors. And some some have codependency and codependency in recovery, just meaning that they're dependent on people. They feel that they need to give more than take. And this is something we need to be really cognizant of so that we're not giving too much of ourselves where we're feeling drained and depleted or resentful. And that's where people get burnt out.
1: And yet they don't have a boundary that says, that's as far as I'm going to go.
0: Exactly. This is what, yeah. This is why I think keeping it keeping it short, and unless they have, you know, a consultancy business on the side and they do coaching, that's great. You can sell that package outside if that's if that's uh, something you can do. But I, I would always, um, you know, profiting is a boundary, and they're looking to you because you are the the guru, the the, the person that has the information that they need, and you're going to help them just by being with them, and that's enough. And we have that's what we have to be really really uh, inclined to remember.
1: You know, what we talk about here is the indoor cycle instructor professional. And that's where ICI pro comes from. Mm -hmm. And how I view professionalism is having a respect for your own time. That's right. And that's really what you're describing there. So at some point you go from, you're right. I've, I've taught my class. I get paid for this hour, whatever it is. But beyond that, either I have a, Consulting business, or I just, or you have to politely say, "I'm sorry, that's all I have." Or what's the best way to, to cope with that when you have someone who's coming to you wanting more?
0: That you you just acknowledge when the next class is, or you acknowledge how they can get a hold of you for for consultation, and you have to be firm with that. It, that is not a cold thing. You're actually helping them. You're modeling boundaries. You're doing all kinds of things for them that that, that they not may not even be aware of. But by having that boundary, you're actually helping them. Because if you get too enmeshed, enmeshed meaning too close they're too dependent, you're not giving them autonomy. They're not, ab- they're not going to be able to want to do this on their own. So if you want to do them a favor, have strong boundaries, give them autonomy, let them do it on their own, figure out the other questions on their own, and come to you when it's appropriate in the, during the scheduled times.
1: Interesting. See, I have that problem. <laughs> And I mean, I do, I, yeah. um, you know, we have spawned a, a lot of small independent studios, uh-huh. um, you know, I've done a lot of work with a couple of people in this space who are, you know, um, just great. One's good at business planning, Bill Pryor, the other one about studio design, uh, Barbara Hoots. But right. at the same time, people look to me and I'm getting requests constantly. Oh, John, can we talk to you? we you know, we want to pick your brain a little bit. And, you know, as part of me wants to be helpful, um, but I knew, as you were saying that, I'm thinking, yeah, I can feel, you can get burnt out by people continually coming in. But and at the same time, feel a little guilty saying, well, you know, I'll tell you what, why don't you give me your credit card number and uh, this is my hourly rate.
0: Mm-hmm. And so I, what I do is, because I, have, I I used to have the same struggle, I think, when I was interning, this is how I learned this process. Not only was it taught to us and... And, you know, our, our professors would grill it into our heads that it's not good to have the, your boundaries down. It's not good to give them too much. Being there with them in the room is enough. It is enough. That was grilled into me, and I learned it, and I, and I relearned it until I got it. And, it. and you're modeling something appropriate for them, and they're, gonna, they're going to get more, and then they're going to want more, but also be able to do it on their own in the off time.
1: I warned you at the beginning of this that the podcast does tend to be kind of random because uh, I think that's important, and I think there's a lot of instructors that are gonna that's gonna resonate with resonate innate with them. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, the feeling that you need to give, and and yet uh, you feel, um, oh, how to describe it? Um,
0: taken advantage of. And that's and we don't ever want to lose our shine as people that are philanthropic, that are, as helpers, as as nurturers, as teachers, we don't want to feel burnt out or drained. We can't be there for them. And this goes for your personal relationships. It goes for your relationships at work. You want to be able to give enough and just enough so that you're not depleted and you're doing your self-care. And the only way you can do that is if you do clock out at the end of that class and you do go home and take care of yourself.
1: Wow, that's fascinating.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: did, I didn't know when we started this you are going to help me a little bit.
0: <laughs> uh, so thank you. absolutely.
1: Um, one other question that I had scribbled down here. That, um, yeah, do you have a few more minutes?
0: Absolutely, yes. Oh, good.
1: As I was explaining, we, you know, we're connected with a lot of small studios, and they're not big box organizations that have sales staff and all this stuff. You know, they've got an owner and some instructors typically. Mm-hmm. Maybe somebody who works the front desk. And so in a small organization, you are typically put in a position of wearing a bunch of hats. And I see part of my role in a small studio is from a promotional or maybe even a sales perspective. Yes. Does that sound right to you?
0: It does. And I will tell you something. I don't envy it because you do have to caretake for people's feelings at times. You do have to promote your, your product. You do have to do so many different things at once, which is why, again, firm founders is so, so appealing. And here's the thing. I'll tell you the trick when you, and I'm sure this is you, when you really believe in your product, you know, it's helping them anyway. You just have to keep reinforcing that in your mind that you're selling something that's helping them anyway. Your time is valuable. So that has to be just reaffirmed. And so you don't spend too much time on, on answering questions that they can get from the the class or, buying your products, et cetera. You spend more time just kind of getting to know them, having the rapport and the trust built. That's number one as far as sales.
1: I guess where I was going with that is that as an instructor, again, you're, you're an ambassador to the club or to the studio. Mm-hmm. And I know that um, a lot of studios would benefit if the instructors were a little more active in the promotion and sales of classes or just getting people to attend. Um, you know. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that?
0: I do, because these are the people that are the advocates. They're easier to trust because you've got more face time with these clients. So it's more authentic. It's more genuine. It's something they're already doing. They're already hyped up about. They're already passionate about. So that just exudes from them. So it makes it an, an easier, more authentic sale rather than somebody who's a little bit more removed um, in a in a little different position where they're they're doing more promotion outside the 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 uh, the course anyway. So you want to be able to do it in an authentic way. The, the easier way to do that is if the instructor is selling a little bit more. And selling meaning being passionate, being hyped out about about the next package that's going to be offered, being hyped out about, about the next cl- uh, course that's going to be offered, the next class that's going to be offered, et cetera. It's just more authentic, more genuine for the, the clients to not feel like they're being pushed if the instructor's doing it on their own because they're already passionate. They're already the ones with more face time.
1: Okay, so let's move to the studio owner. Um, how does the studio owner communicate that to their instructors?
0: they want to do is make sure that there is a little bit of time either at the beginning or the end, or there's some communication even between, you know, with their email list that the instructor is communicating what's novel, what's new about the next course, the next package being offered, and make sure that they're exuding the excitement and passion while they're doing it.
1: Okay. But but you feel it's appropriate absolutely for the, for the studio owner to ask that of the instructor?
0: Hugely, because it's the easier sell and it's more authentic and genuine for the client. So they don't feel like they're being sold to. They're feeling like the instructor is enthused and having their company and reshaping their lives and transforming their lives. It's just more authentic, more genuine. It's coming from coming from a more genuine, authentic place with more face time, more trust, more rapport than the actual studio owner. So I think it's completely appropriate and necessary for the studio owner to ask the instructor to be enthused and promote the packages in an authentic way.
1: Uh, maybe sometime you and I can have another conversation just about that topic because I don't, sen- I don't sense that that goes off very well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Or it's a comfort thing. Some people are just... A f-
0: I'll tell you what. If um, I'll, One easy way to do it is if the instructor is involved in creating the program or they're creating kind of something different about the next course. So if the instructor is already involved about the creation of something or if there's a little take on it that's just them and their signature on it, they'll be more inclined to want to promote it because it's promoting their, their niche, their unique brand as well, because they may go off eventually as experts in their niche. So if, if their niche can get into the, cor- the, the class in some way, then that it'll be easier to promote. So you might want to go at it at that angle. Also.
1: Well, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah, because typically, you know, a studio might have some special event they're doing, a the fundraiser or a, a big party or something. And uh, yeah, as long as you've got everybody a part of it, then it would only be natural that they would be excited to, to talk about it.
0: Absolutely. And if, and if some, some kind of something with their signature on it goes, if they're presented in such a way as the expert in this or so the expert in that, there's always a different flavor that an instructor can offer. There's different niches within this industry. So they, they just have to have that heightened and promoted. People like to be promoted. A, a lot of people do.
1: Oh, yes, I know that well. People love being promoted. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. So, like, especially, I mean, or if they're shy, then their skill can be promoted, you know. So it can go either way, depending on the person.
1: Okay, so what have, we, what have I forgotten to ask you that you feel would be important?
0: I think the stages of change, just to teach real, really quickly, is um, the stages of change when you're looking at whether someone is ready to go on to an advanced level or whether someone's even ready to start a class. You just want to remember the stages of change. So there's pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, and maintenance. And this is an evidence-based model. So you just want to look at that. You can also Google stages of change if you want to reference it. But it's good to kind of know where your clients are at and meet them where they're at with, with also being the model for them for, for motivation, which most instructors do naturally.
1: You know, we're trying to you know attract new customers, and convert them into clients, but th- then we want to retain them. We're we're taking them through these stages stages of change. Then, cr- really, aren't we?
0: You are completely. I mean, it's transformational what instructors do. So it's necessary. I I constantly refer people to to these places. That's that's another thing. You can build rapport with build rapport with professional therapists, things like that, to get to get referrals because people know the mind and body are connected. And what you're doing as an instructor is transformational.
1: Awesome. Well, Dr. Kim Cronister, I want to thank you for your contribution. This was eye-opening for me, and hopefully for you as a listener. If someone has interest in your book or to learn more about you, where's the best place to find you?
0: You can Google me. It's Dr. Kim Fitness Motivations. You can Google Dr. Kim Fitness Motivation.
1: Awesome. Well, Kim, thank you, and. Uh, I'll be eager to hopefully get some feedback on this that I can forward to you. And if you come up with any other great ideas, please let me know. Um, I'd love to have you back on.
0: Thank you, John. It was a great time. Thanks so much.